Bridge the City. Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My name is Benjamin Rangel. And I'm Kyle Hagee. And we are Advocates for Progress. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas. Believe it or not, we have another emergency podcast. Kyle, if it happens this often, is it still an emergency? Absolutely. Every time there's an election, it's an emergency. I guess you're right. And this Tuesday, February 20th, it is the primary for state Supreme Court. In our last episode, we spoke with Judge Rebecca Dallet to discuss why she wants to be Wisconsin's next Supreme Court justice. However, a core principle of Bridge the City is equal access to our platform. Yeah, with great power comes great responsibility. And with a listenership of over 3 million people, we have a lot of influence. Then we might have to fact check those numbers, but I do agree with your overall point. As such, we reached out to the other two candidates, Judge Skrenick and Attorney Tim Burns. Unfortunately, Judge Skrenick was not available, but we were grateful that Tim Burns was able to discuss why he wants to be your next Supreme Court Justice. I'm Tim Burns. I'm running for the Wisconsin Supreme Court, and uh, I'm a bit of an unusual candidate. I'm the grandson of Mississippi sharecroppers. Uh, my grandparents were extremely poor, lived in the shack and owned their own land in Mississippi. And uh, my father was forced out of school by poverty in the fifth grade, my mother in the tenth grade. Uh, but I was fortunate. I um, grew up at a time that our country still had the strongest, broadest middle class economy in the history of the world. And we had great public schools, great public libraries, and I could work hard and dream and do what I wanted to do in life. And I was able to become a lawyer and partner at three of the largest and most prestigious firms in the country. And I was able to choose my field. I wanted to do something that involved protecting purchasers of products, consumers. And I liked the idea of spending my career uh, suing insurance. Uh, so I've, <laughs> I've, I've become one of the, that's the Mississippi populist in me, by the way. Yeah. The idea of uh, suing insurance companies would be good. Um, so I've become one of the, top lawyers in the country, um, suing insurance companies, both for, you know, sort of regular working people in class actions, but also I've been hired by many manufacturing, banking, and investment company businesses in the country because of my skills in this area. But I think it's really important to note that, um, I, I didn't learn my values and the sort of fancy big law firms where I've worked. I learned them probably like many people's summer jobs in high school. My summer job uh, for a number of summers was picking cherries uh, for eight cents a pound and working alongside migrant farm workers out in Utah uh, where I grew up. And I, it really did teach me the sort of most valuable lesson, a lesson I try to always keep in mind that everybody wants and deserves opportunity for themselves and their children. And in large measure, that's why I'm running for the Wisconsin Supreme Court.
because we've gone from the society of my childhood with the broadest, strongest middle class um, to the society where Senator Sanders can say with good reason that all the new income and wealth goes to the top 1% and the rest of us are left working longer and harder for less and less. And courts have a lot to do with it. And our rubber stamp Wisconsin Supreme Court's part of the problem. And that was the chief motivating factor um, for running. Um, I certainly had other motivations. I, you know, this is the court that upheld photo ID. And uh, it's such an attack on our democracy and the notion of one person, one vote. And it had such a horrible consequences of uh, Wisconsin electoral votes going to this demagogue that we have in Washington, Donald Trump. And so that's part of it. Part of it's not lost on me. I'm a national board member of the American Constitution Society, which is the largest progressive lawyer organization. So we have on our board folks like Paul Smith, we just argued the gerrymandering case for the good guys. So as a member of that board, certainly not lost on me that what Donald Trump is doing right now is packing our courts, our federal courts, with young right-wing ideologues. And if we're going to have basic protection of our basic rights in the short run, we're going to have to look to our state courts for those rights. And I recognize that if I win my election, I can actually set the stage to make the Wisconsin Supreme Court a progressive court by the spring of 2020, six months before the next presidential election. And that's tremendous. Yeah. Uh, so it gives us the opportunity to make this court system in the state something it hasn't been in a long time, which is a protector of democracy, a protector of the middle class economy, a protector of our basic rights like reproductive choice and criminal procedure rights and equality rights. We can start dealing with this horrible issue here in Milwaukee and in the state of the mass incarceration of people of color. And to be quite honest with you, I was sick of how these races were being run. And, um, and here's what I mean. The liberal candidate would feel constrained to treat it as a nonpartisan race. And even though the United States Supreme Court case law is quite clear that if you're running for judicial office, you can be as candid as you want to be about your political values and legal values. But earlier candidates felt constrained uh, to try and treat these offices nonpartisan. But nonpartisanship allowed right-wing Republicans to commit a fraud on our democracy, commit a fraud on the public, uh, where they had stealth candidates who would talk about being umpires, and talk about being fair and neutral. And then when they got on the Wisconsin Supreme Court, they would be right-wing rubber stamps to the Walker agenda. So I'm really running, you know, not to get along with the conservatives on the court. I tend to have friendly relations with um, people irrespective of 
abuse um, inside of me to be venomous or hostile to anyone. But, you know, my unlike my opponents in this race, I'm not running to get along on the court. I'm running to change this court and change it quickly and then change the legal system in the state, which is an absolute abysmal failure. You kind of got a little bit at my next question, which was a lot of the stuff I've been reading in the papers on the race is that Tim Burns is really leading with his politics, and it's something that we haven't seen a lot of maybe liberal-leaning like you're getting at judges do in the past. Um, so you think that it is important to have people know where your politics stand? Do you think that conservatives maybe have been hiding the fact that they're or actually partisan and under the, the guise of nonpartisan? Let's be honest. They've been actively lying, right? And anybody who tells you that uh, these positions are uh, non-political is just plain, flatly misinformed or lying. Mm. Um, and I actually, you know, think it's a moral imperative in a democracy that these are some of the most powerful positions in our state. These guys are the final say of the political issues that come before them. And if you give someone the final say in a democracy, it's incumbent on that person to be square with people about their political values and legal values. Because unless you're sort of like the three monkeys of see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, you know that politics influences our judicial system. Social security, the minimum wage, the maximum workday, affordable health care, unemployment compensation, the Voting Rights Act, numerous other decisions, five to four decisions in the U.S. Supreme Court along political lines, and people have the audacity to stand up and tell their fellow citizens that these positions are non-political and non-partisan. My, you know, <laughs> grade schoolers <laughs> understand that politics play, play a role in the decision-making, and how could they not? The U.S. Constitution has an equal protection clause, a due process clause. Wisconsin has an equal protection clause, a due process clause has been read into the Constitution the Wisconsin um, Constitution through our case law. How did, how do you begin to rule on a case involving those provisions without bringing an understanding of what our country and state's history is and a vision for the future? And that is fundamentally, inescapably, political. So we need to demand as citizens that are judges be square with us on where they stand. It sounds like the variety of your of the issues that you're passionate about um, might not necessarily directly relate to your expertise in insurance law. How does like your experience in, in that specific type of law translate to all of the other uh, issues or, or things that you're passionate about? Sure. It's a, it's a fabulous question that I actually haven't um, happened. Um, there we in go. The, in the, the campaigns. Right. So here's the deal. I wanted to be in the insurance law because I knew it touched every area of our economy. 
it was a playbook into American business and how American business um, operate. And I've been fortunate in my career. I've, you know, represented regular consumers in massive class actions when huge insurance companies have overstepped and committed financial fraud. But I've also been hired by more board of directors of major companies in this country than I suspect, uh, you know, uh, anybody who's ever sat on this court. And I know American business. And I know its strengths, but I've seen its excesses in the harm it's done probably about as much as anyone. And that's what we need on the Wisconsin um, Supreme Court is someone who can say no, who has the experience to say no. We don't need someone else who is experienced at processing criminal cases. We need someone who can say no more to concentrate at 12. In terms of the other areas, um, constitutional law, I try to give you a sense that, you know, I am on the national board of the leading voice of the progressive movement on constitutional issues. But, you know, since sort of an early age, I've been an avid reader of our history and our politics. I want to give you a chance to address this this criticism that we heard from one of your opponents in the race, and that's that you don't have a ton of experience or time in Wisconsin practicing. Is that a fair criticism to begin with? No, it's not a fair criticism. It's one of sort of countless lies that have been told in the past month, what I would call misdirections Mm -hmm. in these instances. Think about what I do. I represent consumers, sometimes businesses, sometimes individuals, against giant insurance companies. Would you want to be in Wisconsin state court in those kind of cases, a court with a right-wing majority? I have the opportunity to spend a lot of time thinking about all my cases, and that's what my clients expect of me. I spend a huge amount of time thinking, where is it best for my clients to sue? The answer is never Wisconsin State Court, believe me, because it is a pro-insurance company, anti-consumer court. That's part of the reason why I'm running. But think about it. I'm being criticized for something we should want to have on the Supreme Court. I have handled cases all over the country. When I started running for office last year, I had cases from Florida to Alaska, from New York to Hawaii. I've overseen English barristers in the English court, Bermuda lawyers in Bermuda proceedings. That's the kind of experience you want on a court that takes 40 or 50 cases a year and shapes your economy and your political system. What I have to say to my opponents is, look, I've been the guy at my firm. I've been the lawyer who major, major clients come to. They hire me. So that's interesting. I really appreciate the fact that you're able to respond to that criticism because it's a side that our listeners obviously haven't been able to hear, so that's really good. But now I'm a little interested in like the partisan nature of the election is what it is at this point. 
Judge Dalla and yourself, in my eyes, and I think in the eyes of a lot of constituents, are left of center. Well, you know, I hear that. Um, I I know without a doubt that I'm left of center. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, Judge Dowlett says a lot of things that sound like me at this point. It's very different from uh, when we started the campaign, when mm-hmm. she was attacking me for mentioning Trump. And, uh, you know, now she puts campaign ads. But, look, I'm... Um, I'm concerned with this. Judge Dallet in 2013 endorsed conservative Chief Justice Pat Rogensack and supported her when she was running for a third term on the Supreme Court. That's not a left-of-center thing to do. That's a sort of pact with the devil in terms of um, our state. And, uh, you know, when Judge Rogan said gave for her campaign, gave money to Judge Dallas' campaign. I don't know what's in Judge Dallas' heart. I, you know, I look at her Fourth Amendment decision, and frankly, as a father of children who are people of color, they frighten me. Because you take the Wisconsin versus Dickens case, and she says it's okay to search this person of color who's standing around for five minutes because he's loitering. And in, in Milwaukee, it's like, you know, that kind of thing happens in uh, my community, to me. <laughs> there there would be, you know, police people, police officers who would be worried about their long-term job survival. And so why is it okay? And this Court of Appeals in uh, Wisconsin didn't think it was okay. In fact, one judge wrote separately and quoted Tanaishi Coates because he was apoplectic that someone would come up with a decision that we would say that a black man was loitering and thus was subject to search. She calls that cherry-picking, sort of making fun of my um, picking cherries as a young um, person. If you look at her case law, it's not cherry-picking, it's a body of work. I was getting at a, a concern in terms of the election and a split between people on the left voting? Are you concerned at all from an election standpoint that uh, there might be a split between progressive and more moderate Democrats? In terms of more moderate Democrats, look, what I've tried to do from the beginning of this race is follow a little advice of one of the best political science books I've read in the last year or two, which was uh, Sean Lewis of Princeton's book, The um, Politicians and the Egalitarians. And what Professor Woolen said was, in order to win a race, to take back power from forces of concentrated wealth in this country, like we have in the state, in the form of the all the money that's coming in now for Judge Scrimmon, in order to do it, you need the traditional Democrats and the party and you need the progressive grassroots. So that's what I set out to do. And right now, I have the three Democratic congressional uh, endorsements, Mark Pocan, Steve Kagan, and Dave Opie. I have the head of the Wisconsin Senate Democrats, Senator um, Jennifer Shipley. Um, I have numerous uh, 
members Democratic Assembly, like David um, Crowley and Jocasta Zamoripa. But I also have the Bernie folks. I am, you know, the rare candidate. I'm one of eight candidates, I think, at the moment. You've received the national endorsement of the Sanders organization, Our Revolution. So I'm just putting Professor Wilentz's advice into um, action. I'm getting traditional Democrats. I'm getting the progressive grassroots. And I think I'm going to win. And I think that it's going to be a big win. And I think we're going to win on February 20. I think we're going to win on April 3rd, and we're going to take back the score, and then we're going to start taking back the state. If you are confused on the occasional loud banging noises in the background, you're not hearing things. No, we are not that terrible at editing. It was literally Tim Burns pounding on the table. Regardless of how you view his politics and ideology, it's refreshing to meet someone who is genuinely passionate about what they believe in. So I love the enthusiasm for sure. <laughs> That's great. You talked earlier when we were talking about uh, representing people suing insurance companies for working for the common man. So I'm really interested to hear your take on uh, if you were elected and you sat on the state Supreme Court, what cases would you like to see come in front of the court? Look, I think the um, there are a few areas, but let me give you two of the greatest issues of our day. One is the mass incarceration of people of color. Absolutely unacceptable. And not as some people say because it's expensive, and it is expensive. We spend more on our prison system in the state than we spend on our university. Um, but it's unacceptable because it's an affront to the dignity and equality of our fellow citizens. And it's a problem that if the legislature can't fix, if the governor can't fix, it is required under our Constitution that the court fix it. And that's what I'd like to see fixed. The second area of just huge concern is our middle-class democracy. You know, in order to have a thriving democracy, you need a strong middle class. And you to have a strong middle class, you need strong small farms, strong small businesses, thriving worker movements, thriving unions, public education, thriving diverse communities. So cases that touch on that become very important. And that's why, you know, from day one of my campaign, I lashed out at the idea of this court upholding Act 10, because that was an attack on basic cornerstones of our middle-class democracy, the labor movement, public education, the democratic party, and it's just not acceptable. One topic we talked a bit about in our last interviews was the low voter turnout. And um, the most recent primary for Supreme Court justice, I think it was around 8%. How does that make you feel that like potentially this big of a decision can be made with fewer than 10% of the the electorate voting. A huge concern, and it's been a huge concern since the beginning. And part of my issue with nonpartisan election is if you look at the history of nonpartisan elections in this country, when courts went nonpartisan, 80% of the voters started not showing up. This is roll off um, voting of 80%. Part of it was um, because uh, the timing of the nonpartisan election was made different 
from the partisan election. That's not a reform. That's a disenfranchisement. The decision to make some elections nonpartisan was not an uncommon policy reform at the turn of the 20th century. Changes like these in electoral politics were actually deemed as progressive reforms. However, many, as Tim points out, had regressive effects, like 8% of voters choosing a Supreme Court nominee. Similarly, off-year elections that don't correspond with the presidential election can have damaging effects on voter turnout. This is a good reminder that even though partisanship can seem divisive and counterproductive at times, there may be other positive effects of party politics. Look, in many states in this country, we have partisan value ballots for the court. And I actually happen to think that's a better way of electing judges. It's a more honest uh, way of electing them. And because, you know, their political affiliations is a bit window into their political values. And those political values um, are important. So... I have huge concerns, but even in a nonpartisan election, a so-called nonpartisan election, we can do better. And uh, we've made these races when all you're really voting for is a resume and a statement that I'll be fair and impartial. You can sort of understand why people aren't uh, showing up. You have to give people something to vote for. And certainly, it isn't lost on me. For me, it's a moral issue. If you have people in power, they have to be candid. But it isn't lost on me that it's a political issue, too, that if you're candid about your values, you get people excited. So I think this is a perfect transition into a question I wanted to ask you about action steps and what people can do to get involved. When I think of people maybe running for governor or senator or some other people we talk to, some of the action steps like quickly come to mind for me. But when I'm thinking of people that are interested in the legal field or like interested in holding the courts accountable, I think of like, what could I do or any citizen do that's really cares about our courts outside of just voting? Is there things we can do every day to help influence how the courts run? Sure. Make it clear every day in your interactions with your fellow citizen, in your um, interactions with candidates, it's just not acceptable for people to pretend like they don't have political values, for them not to be square about their political values. Challenge people. Challenge people, challenge candidates when they say it's politicizing the courts. You know, my two opponents... Um, I have said that I'm going to have to recuse myself from cases because I've spoken about the issues. Now, incidentally, they've spoken about the issues too. They just don't like it when I do it. Think about how silly that is. That photo ID, it is when the photo ID uh, law was passed by Scott Walker and his cronies, uh, uh, it was upheld by the Wisconsin Supreme Court in a multi-part written decision, some uh, majority in dissents. Everybody on the court signed on to a view of whether photo ID was constitutional or whether it wasn't, and they gave detailed opinions on that. And somehow a candidate for public office can't get their thoughts on it. 
And that's it's just it's it's so naively stupid. It um you know, if people think about it for a second, they realize that they're just being fed a line of horse manure. And so um that challenge speak. Um but also you know, our democracy is um really overtaken by concentrated wealth right now. And, you know, I was so proud a couple of days ago when the Sanders folks sent out 45,000 text messages uh, in support of my candidacy here in Wisconsin. Participate. I mean, get involved in these things. This is, if we don't change the court, no matter what happens in the gubernatorial and the legislature, racists fall. Good luck in fixing the place, because this court will thwart us at efforts. I, I really appreciate that answer, because part of the whole goal of our podcast is to get people to challenge preconceived ideas of what politics are, to get people to participate in a broader sense in their community and their state. Uh, so thank you for putting that in more eloquent terms than I ever well, could. <laughs> no, no, you did a great job. So thank you yeah. for for, um, you know, um, being of service in that way, that we have to, every generation has to fight this battle against concentrated wealth. And it takes tough thinking, and it takes tough action. And so, you know, uh, I'm only going to be around probably 20, maybe 30 more years. This place will, uh, uh, you know, go to, to your generation and my kids' um, generation. And what I've seen of those of your generation, I'm just thrilled by. So, I mean, it's a generation of really kind, really thoughtful um, people who are thinking about these issues and trying to change them. Thank you for that. It's nice to hear some good things about millennials yeah. uh, every once in a while. Um, and we do want to be respectful of your time. You've already given us um, a lot of it, and we appreciate that. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, best of luck. Our main takeaway was that Tim Burns has a unique perspective on the role of politics on the Supreme Court. Different from Judge Dallet, Burns believes that one's politics are inseparable from the decision-making process, and to hide your politics is essentially a form of dishonesty. This election may come down to your own philosophy on the role of the judicial system within state government, or what role do you think politics should play in the justice system? Both candidates were candid and differentiated themselves from one another. And both were friendly, approachable, and seemingly strong, thoughtful candidates. Ultimately, though, Bridget City is not here to make the decision for you. But we are here telling you to vote and make your voice heard. February 20th, this Tuesday, is the primary, and April 3rd is the general election. You should visit myvote.wi.gov, myvote.we.gov, for all your election-related questions. If you want America to be a thriving democracy, then it's critical for you to not only vote, but to challenge the status quo and participate in the electoral system. And remember, sound bites are not solutions, and your civic responsibility goes beyond voting. Talk to your friends and family, and do whatever you have to do in order to bridge the city. See you next time. Bridge the city. Whoa, whoa. Bridge the city. Yeah. Bridge the city. Yeah. Gotta bridge the city. The city.